0: All right, how is everybody? You good? Everybody good? That was great worship this morning, wasn't it? Good to be in the Lord's presence. All right. Let's pretend that you've never been to church. And some of you haven't been very much. But let's let's pretend that you've never been to church and you get motivated. You never went to vacation Bible school, you never went to Sunday school and you get motivated and you're motivated, and you're going to say, you know, I'm going to try it five times. I'm going to go to church five Sundays in a row, and that's it. And you go to five different healthy churches. You know what you would hear? Pretty much the same thing. You would pretty much hear that Jesus died for your sins, that God gave his son for you, that God loves you, and you would hear a lot of you, 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 you. And it would be so easy for you to conclude that Christianity really is about you, right? Because all you would hear is, hey, God loves you and God died for you and Jesus died for you. And if you'd never been to church, after church number five, you would go, wow, this is really good because it's all about me, isn't it? And so as a pastor, Our tall order is always trying to help us understand that, yes, God has something for you, but the question is, does He ever want something from me? It's kind of almost like Galileo and Copernicus back in the Middle Ages trying to convince everybody that the earth was not the center of the universe. In fact, our earth, they said, was not even the center of the solar system, and they were right, but they had to convince everybody of that. Now, in our more sober moments, well, that's not a good word, in our more rational moment, okay, we are, we are thinking through this because we know it's not about us, it's like the notes Exists for the composer and the paint exists for the painter and the alphabet really exists, you know, for the author. We we, we know that. So we really know that the creation exists for the creator, right? We we all kind of know that. So let me ask you this question If God has all these things for you, is there something that He wants from you? And there is. And before we talk about that, we're going to walk into that step, I want to tell you a story about four lepers. In fact, out of the book of 2 Kings chapter 7, there's this amazing story about four lepers who were starving to death. The Israelites had sinned, they had served idols, Baals and Asherah poles and all that kind of stuff, and so God was really punishing them. And so a group of people called the Syrians, and we'd call them Syrians today, they were called Armenians then, but Syrians, Armenians, they had circled the city of Jerusalem. And these four lepers, these four lepers were in trouble because they were lepers, they had to be outside the city. And these four lepers are going, what should we do? Because if we go back into the city, we're going to starve to death, we die. If we stay outside the city, there's no food, we die. I I got an idea. Let's go and let's surrender to the Armenians, the Syrians, and maybe they'll have mercy on us. Here's the story. There were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, (laughs) we will what? Things are not looking good for these four guys, are they? We will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians. We'd call them Syrians today, same people, and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, well, then we will die. The next verse. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, the enemy was gone. No one was there. Look, Look at what happened. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. And so the Armenians said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So the enemy, the Armenians, got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. This isn't the lepers, this is the whole Armenian camp look what happens next. So the men who had leprosy, they now reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents. So the enemy's gone. He's, they're nowhere to be found. They entered one of the tents and they ate and they drank. They haven't eaten a buffet in years. This is Ruth Chris. This is Burns. This is bonefish all wrapped into one. This is like, oh my gosh, I've died and gone to heaven. So here these guys go. They entered the tent, they ate, they drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes, and they went off, and they hid them we 're going to hide them because we might need them someday. They returned and they entered another tent, and they eat some more, and they drink some more, and they take some more clothes, they take some more silver, they take some more gold, and they go hide them Now. Can you imagine this? Here are these four guys they've not eaten now in a long time, and now they are like bloated you know they 're belching and you know bloated and They've, they've drank so much, they're stumbling. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so good to be true. They returned to another tent and they took the, some of the things and they hid them Also, Look at the next verse. Then they said to each other, now they, they came to their senses. What we are doing is not right. We're not doing the right thing here. You see, we've taken all this food and we've eaten all this food and we've taken all this silver, and we've taken all this clothes and we've hid them. Our fellow Israelites over in the city, they are starving to death. We're not, we're very selfish. This is all about us. And life's not all about me. And they said, they came to this conclusion. What we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. And so when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4... Tells us this incredible news and what we're going to do and what we're going to become. We can't keep this to ourselves, can we? You see, if Jesus does all these things for us, there is one thing, one step that he wants from us. And it's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And here are our verses for this morning. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. If you were to ask me, what are all the things that that God has for you, I could give you a list this long. If you were to ask me, what is the one step that God wants from you, it is for you and I to learn to fish for people. Here's the answer. Followers fish. Followers fish. When you follow Jesus Christ, the one thing he asks from you and the one thing he asks from me is that we learn to fish for the people that he's put in our lives so that we can help them with this amazing good news. This good news is too great to be true. And so what he asks us to do then is to share this with other people. Now the pushback always is, well, I don't know enough and I don't, I'm not good enough and 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 I'm I'm embarrassed, and I'm not an extrovert, I'm an introvert. So there's there's always the pushback that comes back from this. Well, Well, we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. Now, what pastors usually do at this point in the message is they start telling you all these great evangelistic stories, these wonderful conversion stories, these people that were on Skid Row and they became Christians, or these wonderful wealthy people who became Christians. And usually at that point, you tell a story like like the Billy Graham story, like how Billy Graham was converted. It's a great story. Or like the D.L. Moody story, a guy in the 1800s. Great, great story. But we're not going to do that this morning. In fact, we're going to do something that until about an hour ago, I've never seen done in church before. What I'm going to do right now is ask a man whom I've gotten to know the last two years to come join me on stage. And he's not yet bought in to Jesus being the Messiah. He's not there yet. He is seeking truth. And so what I'm going to do It's something that you've probably never seen before, (laughs) and there's probably a really good reason why you've never seen this before. (laughs) I'm going to ask him to come join me in just a second, and we're going to honor him by not trying to choke the gospel down his throat. I have promised him that no one will come up to him after the service or between the services and start firing scripture verses at him and you know hell is hot, you know, turn or burn you know, we're, we're, we're not so I need your commitment, I need you to honor it, will you honor that for just as, for a few minutes, okay, alright, so Jim would you, this is Jim Purse, Jim would you come up here and will you honor Jim Purse Um. You look a little nervous. Hi, right? Kurt. Are, I am. You, okay. You're not going to throw up on me, are you? No. Okay. Don't, don't It's a brand-new table. Throw up on the carpet. If you're, okay. If you Okay. Don't, don't throw up here. Okay. Um, what I really like about this story is Jim's a professional, same job for 20 years, has a great wife, two wonderful boys, um, graduated from FSU. So will all the Gator fans have a little grace mm. this morning in the room, okay? <laughs> so is graduated at FSU. And, um, so let me tell our story and I want to let Jim do some talking as well. So Jim's still not where I am or where some of you are, but he's in the process. So this story is still being written. All right. Um, about two years ago, you and Allie um, bought a house across the street and uh, two houses over from us. Um, Bob and Teresa, who owned this large house, Needed to downsize. Teresa, I think, had cancer, and, and so Bob had to take care of her. So the house was for sale. And Denise and I, we're a little odd about this. We begin to pray for really unchurched neighbors. We don't want church neighbors, okay? Sometimes that's good, but we want unchurched neighbors who might become Christians or who might, you know, grow in their faith that we might have a, an opportunity for. So we began praying, you know, for somebody who's not fully all-in to Christianity to purchase that house. We didn't want a bunch of heathens, but we just wanted people you know, that, that would be open to, to Christianity. And, and so two years ago, they move in, and so we're praying for them and praying for how we can approach this. Uh, our youngest daughter begins to nanny for them, and so we're building a relationship. So a year goes by, and after a year, we're up practically out in the street, you and I are, and I said, Jim love to invite you and Allie and the boys to come to church. We'd love to have you come. We've got contemporary music. We've got this great children's ministry, awesome children's program. And at that moment in the street, Jim kind of throws the emergency brake. And in the street, he says to me, basically, some spiritual sticking points, some issues that he has with with all of this. And so I'm going to let him express that and expose that in, in just a minute. But first of all, um, thank you for being here. Thank you for your courage. Um, you, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. This, this took a lot of courage today. So we, we appreciate that. All right. We do. We appreciate that. Um, so first of all, a little spiritual background. Did you grow up in church? Yes, no. Or what was that about? I grew up
1: as Catholic. Uh, I was baptized as an infant. I completed the confirmation process. Um, but growing up with, with going to church as a Catholic, I, was, I wasn't getting a lot
0: out of it. Okay, so, so did the church world make a lot of sense to you? No, not really. Okay, it didn't impact you greatly? No. Okay. Um, so I asked you to come, and you said to me, your biggest spiritual sticking point
1: was? I, I spoke with you that I believe Jesus is real. He was a real person. Um, My sticking point, my troubles are are believing over a 50% mark if Jesus is
0: actually the Son of God. Okay, so we're in the street, and we're having a discussion about whether Jesus is the the Son of God. He believed he was real, a historical person. And I think what surprised you is I didn't try to convert you out there in the street, it was too hot. but, but that, that kind of, and, and that, that opened a door then? I mean, you, were, you seemed to be more receptive because of the approach. Uh, yes. Okay. So I said, just come. I always use the words lean in, just come. And so you and your wife came like six or seven months uh, after that and uh, invited you several times. You were here for Christmas Eve. And then you said you wanted to meet me. Tell, tell that story a little bit.
1: That I wanted to meet you, meet with you and talk, talk with you um ask more questions and I thought Starbucks would be a good place because I know you <laughs> pretty much live there. Starbucks is a great place to meet people. Um,
0: so we did. We met at Starbucks. It took me about a month to actually set this up and Jim said, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> well, pro- probably not. Um, so we, we meet at Starbucks and you start expressing what you did believe but you also started expressing where you were struggling, and and some of those things were the Bible. Right. You weren't sure how, how did I. You remember that? Yeah. Did I believe the Bible was real, and how did I know that, that man didn't write it? Right. Right. Yeah. Is that what you said? It was. It okay. was. Okay. I don't make put words. In no. That. No. No. All no. right. You're right. All right. And then um, you asked me too. You you expressed some of your doubts, and then you asked me a question that, that, that I think my answer surprised you. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. I asked you if you had any doubts, which I was expecting you to say no,
0: but you said that you did. I did, I did have doubts. Yeah. So his eyes got about this big when I said that. <laughs> and he, said, he said, but you're the pastor. And, and I said, I said I, I, I'm, at, I'm at 92% faith, but honestly, there's about 8% over here that I haven't got figured out. And you said, tell me about that. I said, okay. Sometimes I pray for people, and they get healed. Sometimes I pray for people, and they die. I said, I can't connect all the dots over here. I'm at 92%. And then Jim began to ask me, you know, like, why, why are you in the 92%? What, what, what pushed you, like, like, over the edge? And so we talked in for about, about another hour. And so you said, I'd like to... I think you said you were at 22%. Right. From zero to 100, you said, you said how do I get to 50%? Because that was a mark that you felt like would be strong for you to grow in your faith. And so I made several suggestions on how you could grow in your faith. you remember some of those things?
1: I I do. And I remember I told you that I don't want to just believe out of fear. I want to believe for the right reason and fully or believe over the 50% mark to have faith. And um, you gave me a Bible, which I've been looking at, and just keep coming to church
0: and don't lean away, but lean in. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what he's been doing. And... He's not there yet, but he's closer today than he was when we met back in in January, right? Yes. And and what I really liked, too, was our discussion then was, and here's what your friends and family are thinking when you're trying to help them with this big decision. What Jim basically asked me at the end of our Starbucks meeting was, will will we still be friends if I never give my life to Christ? Will you still like acknowledge me, or will you like shut the garage door and, you know, pretend that I'm not really, you know, your neighbor? And I thought that was fascinating, because because people where Jim is, they're asking, Am I your project? Am I another notch on your gun belt? Will you will you be my good neighbor? Well, I'm not a good neighbor, but will you be my neighbor? and, and, and will you love me even if? I never give my life to Christ. And you see, the answer to that question is yes. Because what I believe, and I told Jim this. I said, Jim, he couldn't believe. You couldn't believe I wasn't trying to convert you the whole time. Right. Because you talked about the approach. Remember that? Right. Which I liked
1: your approach of not trying to shove it down my
0: throat and and listening to my views and my points. And (laughs) I said, Jim, you're not my project. (laughs) I said, I believe that if you will get close enough to your heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ will reveal himself to you. And and, and I I firmly believe that. And then I closed our conversation by then telling him why I thought Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, These guys went from cowards to courageous. These guys began proclaiming the gospel all over the world. These uneducated, ordinary fishermen changed the world. They turned the world upside down. Now, how how do you explain that if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? And then I said to Jim, I said, Jim, it really comes down to a decision. Either he did or he didn't rise from the dead. And that's what everybody has to figure out. And so I thought it would be profitable this morning because probably 20% of you in the room are right where Jim is. You're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. But I bet there's about 100% of us in the room that we all have family and friends who are exactly where Jim is. We all have coworkers who are trying to figure this whole thing out. And so this is not like a nice little neat story with a big ribbon on top of it. This story is still being written. Will you honor and thank Jim today for being here? Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. Thank you. You're a Thank good you. neighbor. Thank, right. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. That's a lot of courage, isn't it? If you're new this morning, yes, we are a crazy church. We sure are. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Let's review what Jesus just said here. Jesus, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers. Simon called Peter, Brother Andrew, what are they doing? They're casting a net into the lake. Why? Because they're fishermen. I want to make some observations about this this morning for just a couple minutes. Because I think it's our job as followers of Christ to fish. Doesn't matter if you're an extrovert, doesn't matter if you're an introvert. Doesn't matter if you're educated, doesn't matter if you're uneducated. What we can all do is we can all fish for people. And here's the first observation, number one. Jesus fished where the fish were. That's just so obvious. It's really hard for me this morning not to use any offshore fishing illustrations, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But see, what Jesus did is he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He's not walking out in the wilderness. He's walking beside this great big lake that's filled with fish. Now, here's the amazing news. You already have all those people in your life. The fish are all around you. Jesus is walking to the fish. I think the fish are swimming to you. You've got family. You've got friends. You've got coworkers. You've got neighbors. You have all these people in your life, and they're all around you. They're all around our, our lives. So Jesus is just, he's just going where the fish are. So that that's not real hard for us because we have a very biblically illiterate country and we're filled with people who don't really fully understand and are just like Jim trying to figure this whole thing out. Number two, he he didn't write people off. I love this. Jesus didn't write people off, but he looked with interest. Now let me explain this because a lot of times some of us in the room just kind of write people off. Well, you know, she's so, you know, sinful or he's so carnal or he's so vain or he's so egotistical or they're so much full of pride. You just kind of write them off. Jesus never wrote people off. Jesus always looked with interest on some of the most sinful men, some of the most sinful women that you could ever imagine. He never looked over them, he never looked past them. He never wrote them off. Because he knew that his heavenly father could reveal truth to everybody. So Jesus didn't write people off. He looked with amazing interest. Look at the next one. Jesus fished with a net. Now what do I mean by that? When you use a pole and you use like a piece of bait on a hook, you're usually fishing for maybe one type of fish. Fish. Jesus is fishing with a net, and when you fish with a net, you pull up a whole bunch of things, and some of them come, and some of them are good to eat, and some of them you throw back, right? But here's what I've learned about this. I don't really ever know who will become a Christian and who won't. When I was a younger pastor, I was convinced I knew. I knew exactly who would become a believer and who would not. So I'd be out with somebody, you know, and I'm in my mid thirties or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, they're just really nice people. And I'm going, you know what? They're nice people. They're probably a little more spiritually inclined than other people. They're going to give their lives to Jesus. And they never did. Then there were other people, you know, that would come up to me, you know, as a young pastor. And, and, and I, I had to learn a different word when they were telling me about all their sinful stories. I had to learn a different word than, wow. I sat there and listened. I, I went, wow. I mean, I mean, finally one man said, can you come up with a different word than saying wow to everything we tell you? I mean, I was amazed at some of the things that they would tell me. They ended up becoming Christians. They ended up surrendering to Christ. I don't know and you don't know who's going to become a Christian. We don't. We have no clue. So we fish with a net. We sow those seeds. We, 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 we try to help all these different people. We, we don't look past people. We don't look around. We, we look with interest. But The next verse we have here. Well, there's three components. Number one. First one is relationships. You build relationships with people. They're not your project. You love them no matter what. You're their friend no matter what. Whether they give their lives to Christ or not, you're still in the, in the game with them, right? I mean, how, how selfish of us to discard people who don't become Christians in our time frame? What's up with that? Number two, it's about environments. And this is why as a church, we're actually building a wedding chapel. We're creating an environment where we can share the gospel. We're creating an environment where we can communicate God's plan A to all these different couples who are gonna be married in our chapel. We're creating an environment where we can leverage this for the kingdom of God. It's exactly what we do on a Sunday morning as well. So you invite some of your friends to church, And then we partner with you. We work hard at creating a worship service. We we work hard at creating a context that helps you so that when you get your family or friends to come, you're not embarrassed. You're like, oh my gosh, I worked for, you know, three years to get them to come And, and he said that or they did what? I mean, so we work really hard to partner with you. That's what we do. So the environment is critical here. We work hard at creating an environment where you can bring your unchurched family and friends and co workers too, so they can be exposed to the seeds of the gospel. And then, number three, it's always about the Savior. Jesus, Jesus I, I mean, Jim, I'm stoked about Jesus. We've talked about this, you know. Someday you're, it's going to come. It's gonna, and Jesus is awesome, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the reason that that we're here. Look at verse 19 and 20. Jesus said, come follow me. You come, you follow me. It's the only thing I can actually grasp that he asks you to do. This is what he wants from you. He has all these things for you, but he wants this from you. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Look at verse 20. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So here's kind of the story. Look at the next. Here's some more application. What's our response to all this? Well, I think there's three. Number one, I lay down my life. You see, these guys had to lay down their life. Doesn't mean you quit school. Doesn't mean you quit your job, but it does mean you live your life fishing. You live your life fishing. You fish for everybody who's around you, because we're not talking about just like the cure for cancer. If I had the cure for cancer in first service, one of my dear friends has had pancreatic cancer. In this service, one of my dear friends has had prostate cancer. If you've got any type of cancer and and I got the cure for it, do you think I wouldn't call you up in the middle of the night, rush over to your house, and we just take care of it? We have something greater than the cure for cancer. It's called eternal life. It's called forgiveness of your sins. It's called a, a connection with your heavenly Father. And so we begin then to live our lives for him. We lay down our lives for him. And that's what these guys did. James, John, Peter, Andrew, they laid down their life. Number two, they had to leave something behind. Now these guys left behind their nets. They left behind their boat. And they left behind their dad. Their dad's on the shore. They leave without their dad. So yeah, you will have to leave something behind. There is a cost to following Jesus salvation is free, but there is a cost to following the Savior. And then number, number three, you lean in, you lean into his vision. He has a vision for your life. Why did he put you in a work environment with him and her and them all around you? Why did he put you in a neighborhood with all these people? Why did he put you in a family with all these people? You're going, yeah, I don't know why he put me in that family. They need a lot of help. But you look at this, you say, okay, God has a vision for your life and for my life. Well, here's how this story actually ends in 2 Kings. And I just want us to read this story together. Go, Go down to 2 Kings, if you would, chapter 7. It says, then they said to each other, what we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went. And they called out to the city gatekeepers, and they told him, We went to the Armenian camp, and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night, and he said to his officers, I will tell you what the Armenians have done. He thinks it's a trick. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of the officers answered, well, I got an idea, sir. Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like those Israelites that are doomed. In other words, he's saying, what have we got to lose? So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Armenian army. He commanded the drivers, go out and find what has happened. And they followed them as far as the Jordan." And they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Armenians had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out, and they plundered the camp of the Armenians. What an incredible story. It's too good to be true, but it was too great to pass up. See, in this room, maybe you've been struggling like, like Jim. In this room, though, maybe today... You've crossed over the threshold and you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ. He's your hero. He's the great I am. He's the living word of God. And so we're going to give you that opportunity today. We'll give you that opportunity right now. It's called a prayer. It's a salvation prayer. It's your confession that Jesus is the real deal. And we're going to say it out loud with you, but perhaps today, this is the first time in your life you have ever said this prayer. You've ever connected to Christ, to your Heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask us to stand up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. and Down up front, down here, if you would, prayer partners. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, we give you this opportunity right now, this morning, today, with all of us. Here's our, here's our prayer. Ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am so grateful that you are able and willing to forgive me of all my sins. I confess that you are the Son of God, and at this moment, I give my whole life to you. Thank you for allowing me to become a Christian and to live with you forever. Amen. If you've given your life to Jesus this morning, come down front. Let them pray with you, pray for you, and pray over you. And just let these wonderful partners just revel in your incredible decision. Now, the question is, as I leave here today, who am I going to fish for? The question is, who's around me? Who's in my family? Who's in my neighborhood? Who are the people around me that God's called me to fish for in a great way? And you know what it takes? The average is seven to nine invitations before people come to church i think jim was five or six the average is seven to nine so don't give up keep fishing keep fishing keep fishing lord jesus we worship you today in your wonderful name we pray amen